Aloha Church. Good evening to you all. No matter how many times we say good morning, it's actually good evening. So uh, you could be seated. Chris already read our text. Uh, we sang parts of it together, and so now we get to hear it from um, it preached. Have you ever stood next to something or someone that made you feel insignificant? I'm sure many of you have. And if not, after service, you can come up to Jay Alvaro, and he will make you feel insignificant. <laughs> um, I remember the first time our family went to the Pacific Ocean uh, in Oregon, and there's this churn that you make, and all of a sudden you could see the deep blue water. And it's not like here in Hawaii where it just seems so tame and, you know, you could just go and play in there. Uh, but it's, it's, it looked real fierce. And as a kid, I remember how small it made me feel in that moment. I was afraid to come up to it. One of the most valuable abilities that we have is to put things into perspective. Perspective helps us when we deal with all sorts of things and issues. It's, it helps us when we deal with people. It's good to consider the other side. Um, it's good to see what the other person's background is as you engage in conversation or whatever dealings. Perspective helps us in business as we calculate, as we do the math, as we get perspective um, doesn't, does this investment make sense? Does this next hire make sense? Uh, those calculations, that perspective, um, it helps us. It's very important. We use perspective um, when we look at maps, when we go travel. Um, when we buy or rent a home, we put distance into perspective to make a decision how close or how far away we want to be from work, from friends, from church. Perspective is important. It helps us make our decisions. We use it every single day. And even greater, oftentimes, perspective not only helps us make decisions, but it also displays what we lack. It shows us what we still need. And so, Psalm 90, Moses gives us the ultimate perspective. He puts our lives, our existence, our purpose against God's existence and God's eternal purpose. The most successful people, according to the world standard, world's perspective, a billionaire, for example, can feel good about himself, his accomplishments, what he does, what he has, um, what, is he, what he's doing to the community, to the world. Until his life is put in perspective against eternity and against God. Against God's eternal purposes, man's toils, man's work, even the greatest of all, becomes so insignificant. And this is what Moses shows us. Psalm 90 is actually the oldest psalm in this book. Um, it was written by Moses 400 years before David was even born. 
Um, and the context of the psalm is very important. Moses, at this point, already took Israel out of Egypt. Um, and they came close to the promised land. And so they sent out spies into the promised land to check out what's going on there, what's ahead of them. And so the spies come back, and the majority of them are like, guys, we can't go there. There's giants. These people are mighty. Have you seen the walls of their cities? How are we ever going to conquer them? We've never faced anything like this before. And so God's people were afraid. They doubted God. They said, let's turn around. Let's go back. And so because they did not trust God to fight their battles, God said that none of that generation, none of those people will enter into the promised land. And so for the next 40 years, they were wandering in the desert until the entire generation that came out of Egypt died. It's a really, really sad story. And that was the divine judgment of God. God cared for them. God saved them. God has done so much for them. And yet they're so close to the promised land. And they just turned around. And so during these 40 years, people are just dropping like flies. Imagine you're in the wilderness and you're just waiting for people to die. That's, that's the purpose of it. And so during this time, as Moses sees this, he writes this psalm. Moses got a perspective. He saw clearly how eternal, how powerful God is, and how fragile, how finite humans are. And so, first in the psalm, we see that Moses shows us what, we, what theologians call the eternality of God. He displays to us how eternal God is. One thing to know is um, Moses is the author of the first five books of the Bible, of the Torah. Um, he is the one that wrote Genesis. He wrote down um, the creation account. Um, as God told them, or stories that were passed on from generation to generation, um, the Holy Spirit, through Moses, penned down the creation account, the account of the fall, Adam and Eve. All these stories were written through Moses. And so Moses had the revelation of how it all began. And we see this um, bursting out in these verses. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Before anything was, God has always been. And Moses praises, he worships God for his eternality. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God existed forever. He is, at, he is without beginning, and God will exist forever. He is without end. In other words, the creation the existence of the world, of this world, for as many thousand years as it is, is just a little bleep when viewed from God's perspective. It's just a little dot. 
Moses continues, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. Think about yesterday. Do you remember your day yesterday? Most of us don't even remember what we did. It's just gone. It's like a little bleep. Yesterday is a little dot when compared to our entire life. Moses says, for God, a thousand years is like our yesterday. A thousand years is like an eight-hour job shift. It's gone before you know it. What Moses is saying, that time is nothing to God. He is outside of it. He's not constrained by it. And being eternal, he never runs out of it. So this is God. This is, this is what Moses underlines here. He's eternal. He's everlasting. A thousand years to him is like our yesterday. How about us? Against the background of God's eternity. Moses sets before us man. Fragile, delicate man. Moses watches man, many men, die. Moses probably did the most funerals any man ever did. Millions of people, an entire generation, is passing away in 40 years. And so Moses is looking at it. And he says, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. God makes us out of dust. God returns us to dust. Verse 5. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewing in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed in the evening, it fades and withers. He compares our life to a dream. You know when you wake up and you're like, did I have a dream? You're like, yeah, I dreamt of something. And then you forgot. That's how our life is. Or when you go to sleep and you dream up a storm, you, you, it's, it's like a whole book. And you wake up and it's only been five minutes. That's how our life is. We think it's so much that the background of God's eternity, it's nothing. He also compares us to grass. In the morning, it is lush, it is green, it is beautiful. And then by evening, it's all dried up, it's worthless. And then verse 10, Moses actually puts a number. He actually tells us how long our life on average is. He says, the years of a life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Interestingly, um, 
the life expectancy in the world is right about there. Give it a few years, plus minus. Um, consider, if you consider the entire world, I think it's right about 75 years. Smack in the middle of what Moses tells us. And so in light of eternity, in light of God's relationship with time, 70, 80 years, what is that? It's nothing. It's absolutely nothing. And Moses says that most of those years even, they are toil. Toil means work, labor, and trouble. Work, sickness, problems, hardships. That's what most of those 70 to 80 years are made up of. It's quite a perspective. Kind of depressing, huh? Just a little. And so we wonder, is this really it? Like, what's the purpose of life? Why did God create us? Did he really design it to be this way? 70, 80 years of toil and hardship, and then we're gone. Is this what God intended? And so in verse 7, Moses introduces this new idea. He displays to us God's wrath. And it has something to do with the fact that we are so fragile. The wrath of God has something to do why we are so finite. He says, For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. And at first we might think, what does God's wrath have anything to do with this? And it, as we will see, it's everything. The fact that we are like grass, like a dream, a lifespan of 70 to 80 years, it's all the result of God's justice on sin. To live a short life, life filled with toil and trouble, is not the way God intended it to be. If we read in the beginning, God created us to be in communion with Him forever, delighting in His presence in the cool of the day, Sin and death were never part of the picture when God created Adam and Eve. And Moses knew that. He penned that down. It's fresh in his eyes and in his mind. As he is writing the psalm, the creation story, the fall, and the result of it is all in fresh in his mind. Genesis 2, 16, 17 God created man, he commanded them, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. There it is. 
And you, of course, know the story. They ate. And what God has said would happen did happen. Into the life of eternal man. Man who was created to exist with God, to be satisfied by God, entered death, entered weakness, entered brokenness. And Moses is reflecting on that. He sees the effect of the fall playing itself out as the people are making circles in the wilderness for 40 years. Dying off. The death still at work as they receive the punishment for their disobedience. And so he says, For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sin in the light of your presence. And that is still true today. No one will, no one can escape God's just decree on sin. Death is inescapable. A creation that was created to joyfully dwell with God eternally, forever, was brought to an end by sin. The execution for sin is death with an average lifespan of 70 to 80 years old. Gone like a grass. Gone like a dream. Gone like yesterday. And so is there a solution? Is there any hope? And as we know, and as Moses says, there certainly is. Verse 13 and on, Moses pleads with God. He pleads for pity. He pleads for God to return. And he is trusting in God's steadfast love. The solution to our weakness, the solution to our fragile um, to our finality, I have a hard time saying these words. The solution to our finality is the eternal, everlasting God himself. We need our fragility needs to be met with an eternal God. We need God to intervene on our behalf. And so Moses trusts God. He trusts his steadfast love. Moses seen it throughout the years. God being faithful over and over again. And Moses pleads to God, trusting in that. And today, as the people of God, we stand on Moses' shoulders. We trust everything that Moses trusted. All those promises are ours. But we have a much greater revelation. We have a complete revelation. We have much more hope 
than Moses or the people of God ever had. And that revelation is Jesus Christ Himself. As Moses realized how fragile and weak humans are, he pleaded to God for pity, for mercy. He pleaded for everlasting, steadfast love. How much more do we have to trust? While we were still sinners, Romans says, while we were dead in our sins, he died for us. While we were not even aware that we needed a Savior, while we were not even aware, while we didn't even have a perspective, God moved towards us. And so the solution is Jesus. Jesus who left his heavenly home to be with the people he created, to carry our sin, to carry our weakness, to take it on himself, the judgment of God, to take on himself death itself so that we may stand righteous before God. So no longer verses 7 through 9 could apply to us today. We are free from this wrath. We are free from this anger. The most secret sin, forgiven. And it's all because the eternal God moved towards us, fragile, finite beings. And so no longer are we under God's wrath, but not only that, in Christ's death and resurrection, what happened to death? Death was a judicial execution on those people walking in the desert for 40 years. Death was their execution. For us, it is no longer so. It is no longer a penalty for our sin, but death becomes a gain to us. It's a grace of God, and it's a means for us to be with Him. And that's what Paul says, death where is your sting? The sting is gone. That is our solution. And so for the rest of the time, I want to look at three things uh, that Moses requests from God. As Moses realizes how fragile we are, in light of this perspective, he asks God for three things. And I believe that Moses is echoing the cry of all humanity. Deep inside, we all long for, we all desire for these three things. And so first, he asks for wisdom from God. He asks God to teach us. Secondly, he asks for satisfaction. He says, satisfy us, O God. And third, he asks for God to establish. So first, he asks God for wisdom. God created us 
to exist for his glory. We talked about it. This is pre-fall. We don't start with the fall. We start with creation. That's where our story begins. In, in creation, when God created us, he created us to exist for his glory. We were meant to be an extension of God's beauty. Existing in this world to display the glory of God every day, every moment of our lives. That was destroyed by sin. But the desire to worship is not gone. The desire to worship something is still there. It's just misplaced. And so Moses prays, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. In other words, God, don't let our lives waste away. Let the 70, 80 years, or whatever time you may have given us, maybe it's 10, 20, may they be lived for your glory. Teach us, give us wisdom to live every moment intentionally for you. We forget. We get distracted. So teach us. Realign us to glorify you just like we were always meant to be. That is the heart of every person, whether they know it or not, as they devote themselves either to sin or either to God, the cry of the heart is, we need to worship. Secondly, Moses prays for satisfaction. Not only were we created to worship, but God created us as beings who crave we have desires. We have cravings physically, emotionally, spiritually. We crave food. We crave drink. We crave to be loved. We crave to be understood. Not only do we crave to just eat, but we, God gave us the ability to, to crave specific food. God, not only, not only do we crave to be loved, but we want to be loved a specific way. And that's all good. That's how God designed us to be. But all of these cravings, they point to something even greater. They point to the deepest great craving of our heart that was meant to be satisfied only by God. That's how God created us. And again, sin misguided that desire. And so often, where do we find ourselves? We find ourselves restless. We find ourselves craving. Trying to satisfy those cravings and realizing that we still crave, that we still need satisfaction. And so Moses prays, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Moses, let's just again, looking at the perspective of all things, 
He says, Lord, satisfy us. As he looks at the 70, 80 years of the life of man, he knows what we need most. Moses knows what we need most. And that is satisfaction by God himself. And so he pleads, God, satisfy us. And third, Moses prays for God to establish. Again, God placed Adam in the garden, and he gave him a job. He didn't just tell him, yeah, just chill under a palm tree. He actually gave him a job. And that job brought Adam fulfillment. It brought him purpose. And yet with the fall, that was also destroyed by sin. We still have to work. But oftentimes we wonder, what am I even working towards? Where's the fulfillment? Where's the, where's the purpose in what am I doing? Am I just making circles? And so Moses realizes this and he prays, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. And establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Our toil, everything that we do in life, left to us, left as is, it's just that. It is toil and trouble. Our work does not abide. It's not established. It will last for a certain period of time. And then it's gone. God's work, though, it's eternal. God's work abides forever. And Moses prays, God, establish our work. Let our work become your work. Whether it's family, church, community, as fathers and mothers and children and singles, whatever the work that God has placed before you, it will have an internal meaning, eternal purpose when it's established by God. No matter how insignificant or unknown your work is, when it's established by God, it has eternal value. It has eternal purpose and fulfillment. When the eternal God touches the lives of finite beings, our purpose becomes eternal. Perspective matters. Perspective gives us a clear picture. And the perspective that Moses gives us reveals to us that we need grace. We need a Savior. We need Jesus. We need satisfaction. This psalm is mingled with grace and power. It pins us against the holy and eternal God. 
and it reveals to us our need. And then it leads us to the one who can actually satisfy our need. And the only way to experience God's grace, the only way we can be satisfied is for us to realize that we desperately need God's grace. When we see our emptiness, only then we will see our need to be satisfied and fulfilled. Even as his children, no longer under the wrath of God, recipients of his grace, yet how often we forget why we need his grace. We just go through the motions, just saying Christian cliches, We forget we need His grace. We forget that we need His love. And so the call, the cry of Psalm 90 is a reminder to us of how finite we are. And so let your finite drive you to God. Let the cravings of your soul Remind you of your need for Jesus. Let your toil, let your troubles in life lead you to the one who gives us fulfillment and who gives us purpose. In those moments when you feel broken, in those moments when you feel like this is not enough, I need something else, that's where Moses was. That's where, this is the place that Moses is crying out of. Moses isn't sitting there rejoicing in God's joy and saying, satisfy us. No, he's in a place of need. That's where the cry of his heart comes from. And so as we experience that as his church, as his people, may the prayer of Moses become our prayer. God, give us wisdom to live for your glory every moment of our life. God, satisfy us with your steadfast love and give us your joy, actual, real joy. And God, establish our work as we go about our life seeking to glorify you. Let's pray. Father, how relevant are these words to us that were written thousands of years ago. And Lord, we thank you that you did not leave us seeking, searching without an answer, but you give us an answer. Lord, it is your work, it is the work of your Spirit to show us our need for you, and Lord, we thank you that you did not leave us wanting, but you ran towards us. That while we were still in our sin, headed towards destruction, not just physical death, but hell for eternity. Lord, you loved us. And you delivered us from evil. You have set our foot upon the rock. 
And Father, I pray that the cravings of our heart, the cravings of our soul, as we go about our life, as we try different stuff, shopping or sin or whatever it is, Lord, our phones, Lord, all these things that just we grab in the moment of trouble, Lord, in those moments when we grab those things, remind us that we actually need you. Remind us, Father, to just put all these things aside and come and sit in silence before you. Father, may the prayer of Moses become our prayer for your glory. And Lord, as we are going to come to the table of the Lord, your table, God, as you commune with us right now, as we, as your family, your church, Lord, partake of the bread and the wine, Father, I pray that you would purify us, that you, Father, would forgive us of running to everything but you. God, we confess our sin. And Lord, we want to be honest, Lord, and we just want to say that our sin does not satisfy us. We need you. And so let this bread and this wine remind us of that. As we partake, Lord, show us that the satisfaction of our heart is you, Jesus. You have already done the work, and you invite us to be silent before us, to be in your presence, to experience the endless joy in you. And Lord, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.